If you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be reading verses 13 through 20, but today we'll be focused in verses 15 through 16. We're going to be in this text uh, for at least another week, maybe two, okay? So Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Mm. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we, we pause at the reading of your word and we see something divine occurring here in this interaction between Jesus and his disciples, but then Jesus and his servant Peter. Lord, you are showing us something that is beyond our comprehension here. This interaction with our Lord shows us that, dear God, we must depend upon your revelation of yourself and your revelation of who the Christ is, our Savior is. We cannot understand this path of salvation that you have placed before us apart from your help. And so, God, I pray this morning you would do that. You would be here with us. You would cause our minds and our hearts to hear clearly from you that you would help us by, dis- by, by sweeping away any distractions in this moment. Because, God, we must know, we must confess truthfully and accurately who Jesus Christ is. We can't do this without you. That's the words of your Son. So, Lord, cause us to depend on you right now. Remind us of who we trust. And that is you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Please have a seat. Last week we looked at uh, verses 13 through 16. And today I really want to focus on verses 15 and 16 here. I want to really dive into this confession of Peter. Remember that it was those who said that Jesus was someone else. Uh, there, There is this opinion of the world of who Jesus is. And there's also the opinion of our experiences and our feelings about Jesus. And I think what we saw in verses 13 and 14 is that it may not actually hit home correctly. We may actually miss the mark here if we depend upon what others say about Jesus, what we feel about who Jesus is to us, hearing the language here. And this this is language that is in our Bible studies What does this passage mean to you? 
It's a dangerous path if we're not careful. And Jesus here is, is interacting with his disciples, and then particularly here, Simon Peter. Who do you say that I am? Remember, we focused on that last week. Again, this idea of who do you say that I am, Peter, does not give us license to feel and imagine who we think Jesus is on our own. That was not Jesus's question. He did not ask Peter, who do you say that I am because that's how you feel? It's not who do you say that I am based on your experiences. There's something deeper here. That's what we're going to look at today. Verse 16 is Jesus's response. He said, Actually, in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And here's Peter's response. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was Peter's response to the question. Who do you say that I am, Peter? And his answer is profound. And Jesus is going to help us unpack this here. Y'all ready to dive in? Because on one hand, Jesus, I mean, Peter is responding to his Lord's question. Here's who I say that you are, Lord. You are who? The Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I will, I will preface all of today's sermon with this. Verse 16, what Peter says is 100% accurate. Y'all getting that? 100% and even more so percent Spot on. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But here's the truth that we're going to see. Peter doesn't come to this truth on his own. He's not expressing his own personal feelings. He's not expressing his own personal opinion. He's expressing the divine truth that only God himself reveals. That's where we're going today. You see, Peter's confession of Jesus reveals a deeper truth here about Jesus and about what Peter knew of his Lord. Peter is presented here as the spokesman for the disciples. Remember that Jesus' question was to them in verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And in verse 16, we get Peter's response. It's as if he's... He's partly the spokesman for the group, but he's also speaking for himself here, isn't he? I think that's more the focus. Only Peter's response is recorded here in the Gospels. Now, of course, Thomas's doubt of Jesus will be recorded in the 20th chapter of John's Gospel. You remember doubting Thomas and his response of who Jesus was. But look here in verse 16. But Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you take nothing away today, grab hold of that one phrase, that one verse. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because Peter here, he's, he's using very important language. He's using language of worship here. Are you hearing that in the words? It's language of worship. It's language of adoration. Praise. His response is not this timid or passive, well, Jesus, um, in my opinion, um, I, I believe you, you, you might be 
this Savior that I think I've heard about in Sunday school, but I don't know. That's not his response. It's not a timid, I, I think I know, but I'm not certain I know, but in my opinion, I think. Are you hearing that language? Where's that language come from? <laughs> okay. It's number one. It, if we use the language of tim, of timid language of well, I, I I think in my opinion, just now it's just my opinion. Now I, I think you might be this savior. I, I don't know what what is what is that really communicating? It's communicating lack of faith and trust. It's communicating insecurity. It's communicating well. Now now don't come after me and attack me because I have this opinion. Now that's what our world wants us to say. In my opinion, I think, and here's the problem with that. If everybody's opinion is true, is anyone ever wrong? Take that away from today. If everybody's opinion is valid, if everybody's opinion about Jesus is true, what kind of outcome do we have? We've got a cacophony here of a mess about who Jesus is, and we have a cacophony here of a mess that the truth is discarded. It's not our opinion, folks. There's a truth here that as God's faithful, as the ones who God calls to his people, the ones who God calls to be his house, to be his church, there is language here of praise and adoration. You are the Christ, the son of the living God unashamedly, with no doubts and no hesitation. How many of us in this room have been afraid to voice this in an atmosphere of aggression or opposition to the faith? You're afraid that someone might actually think you're too smart or might think that you're a know-it-all or who is he or who is she to say this about Jesus? Who are they? Do they have credibility? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get afraid. No, Peter was very bold. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was direct. Peter uses worship language here. He's worshiping Jesus by declaring the truth. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. His response is not passive. His response is not timid. He speaks just as passionately and directly to Jesus as the tone of Jesus' question was to him. Remember Jesus' question to him? Who do you say that I am? That was not a passive question. It was a direct question. And Peter's response is direct. No hesitation. And his response is here. The, there's, there's two responses here we've got to look at. The first one, you are the Christ. Let's unpack that. Y'all ready? I see some pens and I see some paper. That's wonderful. Now, I'm going to be jumping around. I'm not going to jump around a lot, but there will be some supporting passages here that if you want to take notes, please do that. In your bulletin, you've got room for that. Actually, in your bulletin, you should have this passage printed. So if you want to take notes there, feel free. If you're, if you're timid about marking in your Bible, you can mark in the bulletin and use it as a study guide, okay? You are the Christ. Here, Peter confesses that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. That's significant here. It's the longed-for one that the prophets in the Old Testament mention. Remember in the they say responses back in verse 14? They say, Jesus that you are Elijah, or you are John the Baptist, or you are Jeremiah. 
they say, this is directly opposite of that. You are the Christ. In the Greek, it's the word Christos. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word for Messiah. God's predicted and longed for deliverer of Israel. Peter and the disciples and many of the people in the crowd who were longing for Jesus and, and, and listening to his teaching, they would have come out of this tradition. They would have been taught from infancy to long for the coming of the Messiah. And Peter is pulling no punches here. You are the promised Savior, Jesus. You are the Christ. Remember that in contrast, John the Baptist, he was a little bit hesitant about Jesus's identity back in Matthew chapter 11. There's some irony here because Jesus was thought by the people. Some say he might be John the Baptist come back. Well, John the Baptist wasn't perfect. John the Baptist had a little bit of doubt about his savior, didn't he? Back in Matthew 11 verses one through three. When he asked, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? That's in stark contrast to Peter's response, isn't it? You're the Christ. Even the godly, spirit-filled, greatest of all prophets, John the Baptist, expressed hesitation about Jesus. He succumbed to the expectations of the popular opinion of the people about the coming Messiah. And remember, Jesus used John's doubt to teach him something. But in this moment, Peter's confession established in his mind, and also I think maybe in the minds of some of the other disciples, we don't have the record, but the other disciples are there, and Jesus' question was to them. Some of the other disciples may have been thinking this too, but they we don't have a record of their confession of it. Now we know for a clear fact that Judas in this 12 wasn't there. He did not confess Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. Had Judas been there, I think Judas would not have been had the reputation he's had for these thousands of years. But Jesus was not just another prophet. And that's what Peter's saying here. You are the Christ. You're not just one of those prophets that the people think that you might be. Let's remember as well that Jesus calls out the sign of Jonah here back in Matthew 16, verse 4. Remember, he does this by chastising the Pharisees and the Sadducees for demanding signs to prove who Jesus was. And the only sign that Jesus would give them is that he that his authority is, you will only get the sign of Jonah. And that was, the sign of Jonah was Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, you'll know who I am because of my death, my burial, in my resurrection. That's the sign of Jonah. And no other sign would have been given. But here Jesus is declared by Peter of being who he is. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter's not needing the sign of Jonah here. Let's look at the second half of verse 16. He says that you are the Christ, but the second half says the son of the living God. This is not insignificant either. Peter not only confesses Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah, but also as the son of the living God. Now, the literal translation of this short proposition here is the son of God of the living one. If you want to know the literal wording here, it's you are the son of God of the living one. Why is this important? 
Because Jesus is the Son of God, who is the creator of all things, the cosmos, all of the order of that there is. God is the creator of it all. It's in contrast to where they are. Remember, they're in Caesarea Philippi. God is not the creator of a mythological story. He's the creator of reality. He's the true creator. Remember, Caesarea Philippi, it was a city that was made around Greek, is a Greek area and a Roman area that was occupied here. And it was an area known for pagan origins. The, the god Pan, the mythical god Pan, you know, Peter Pan, the musical, okay? He was, legend says he was born here in this region in Caesarea Philippi. Matter of fact, the original name of this place was Peneus. The contrast here is that Jesus is the Son of God, the creator of all things, not just another mythical creature or mythical figure of Greek or Roman mythology. You're the Son of the living God. You're the Son of the living one. Jesus is the Son of God. And now, although Peter here will mistake the definition of the Christ. Now, later on in verse 22, when we get down further, we're going to see that Peter's confession is good, it's spot on, but he misses a big point here. He thinks that the Christ is the one who will never suffer. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks. He misses that point, but he does definitely hit it on the target, the definition of the Christ. You are the Christ, the one that we're, that we've been longing for. And he knows that Jesus is not merely another prophet or another mythical creature or figure in history. He is proclaiming that Jesus is the coming of the Messiah. He is the one. He is him. He is God's son. But we must also break down here the second part of Peter's confession of the living God, or again, literally of the Greek of the living one. The Greek word here, zoe, meaning living, is used repeatedly in Scripture to describe God as the I live. Remember? Very similar to the I am. Can't miss that point here. It's related to the idea of the I am of God revealing himself as the great I am, the one who is one's own master, the one who defines himself, the one who is. Now carry that over to Jesus. He is the son of the living one. He is the son who defines who he is. He is the master of his own identity and his own being. You are the Christ, the one who is, who is alive, who defines yourself. You're not just a prophet of old who is no longer with us. You are not some mythical figure in mythology. You are it. You are true. You are alive. You define yourself. That's Peter's confession of Jesus. Matthew, fact, actually back in Matthew 14.33, Peter confessed Jesus informally as truly you are the Son of God. And this was following a near-death experience when the boat that they were in almost sank in a great storm on the Sea of Galilee. Back in Matthew 14, Peter does confess Jesus as the Son of God, but here in Matthew 16, verse 16, it's much more depth. There's more depth here, more understanding here, more truth here. Now, it's critical here 
that Peter, he, he understood here in Matthew 16, uh, 16, he says, it's the first formal declaration of Jesus' divinity. Peter understood. He emotionally felt it was his very being that knew this, the truth of who Jesus was as the son, that Jesus was a man, but more. He was divine. He was given by God. That's what Peter's acknowledging here. You're not just another man, Lord. You are divine. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Now, it's critical for us to see here Peter's confession as our own confession. That's why this passage is so important. This is why Jesus' question in verse 15 is crucial for us to remember. Who do you say that I am? And is our confession in the same manner, in the same spirit as Peter's confession here? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If our confession of who Jesus is, is not from our heart and in our heart to the same depth of Peter's, I think we have some prayer to do. We have heard about Jesus, many of us, from childhood. We have seen many Bible stories in vacation Bible school and in Sunday school. We have watched many films in our American culture about Jesus. Hollywood tells us who Jesus is. Even Pure Flix, y'all know what Pure Flix is? It's a great resource, but don't let Pure Flix tell you who Jesus is. Amen? Nothing wrong with watching a good Christian film. Don't let that define Christianity. For, don't let them define who Jesus is for you. Why is that? That's important here. Do we truly and do we genuinely see Jesus as the Christ? Do we genuinely and truly see Jesus as the Son of the living God? Do we confess it truthfully, honestly, genuinely? Or is our understanding of who Jesus is clouded and muddied by what they say? It's important. Let's look here at verse 17 because Jesus' response here points to a key biblical doctrine that we want to cover. Okay, but let's look at verse 17. We may get through this, we may not. Okay, We may be in this passage for six weeks. Let's look here at verse 17. You see, Jesus' response points us out here what's happening with Peter. How does Peter know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? This is very crucial here. It points out a key biblical doctrine of divine revelation. Look here at verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. How does Peter know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Jesus tells us, the Father in heaven has caused you to know this. Wait a minute. You mean, G mean Father in heaven speaks to us and tells us things and teaches us how to know things? Uh, I, would you all agree that verse 17 pre is pretty clear about that? Matter of fact, I think verse 17 here is what we call one of those texts. that It's a foundational text of doctrine. In other words, it's so clear and direct, there's no ambiguity here. Peter knew who Jesus was because Jesus says, 
Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, the Father who is in heaven reveals the truth about Jesus. There's a key doctrine here, the doctrine that we cannot know God apart from God giving us the ability to know him. Now, there are two types of divine revelation that we have to talk about here. Y'all ready for a little bit of theology one-on-one? Because it's coming from passages like this. There are two types of ways that God reveals. One is called universal revelation or general revelation. It's God communicating of himself to all persons at all times and in all places. How does he do this? He does this through his creation, through the natural order of things, through even history, looking how God moves through human history. That's what the Old Testament helps us to see. He also, general revelation, is also seen in what we call the Imago Dei, the fact that God's image is in all of humanity. You could say that that is also part of God's general or universal revelation of himself. The second type of revelation that is in here that we're going to focus on here for the rest of our time is this idea of particular revelation or also known as special revelation. Ultimately, this special revelation is God's revelation of God in Jesus Christ. I'm taking notes. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 makes that very clear that God has revealed himself. Matter of fact, let's flip over there real quick. Some of y'all are staring at me like, really? Let's look at that real quick. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Verse 3. He, talking about the son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So there we see here that that God himself reveals himself particularly, specially through Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is seeing. That's how Peter is understanding who Jesus is. It's the Father in heaven revealing himself through his Son, Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate definition of special revelation. But special revelation also comes in a little bit more personal way as well. God's manifestation of himself to particular persons at definite times and places that enable these persons to enter into a redemptive relationship with God. That's also what we see in what's called particular or special revelation. But it begins with Jesus. Now, who has Peter been with for two and a half years at this point in Matthew 16? Jesus. So he has seen the special revelation from the Father in the Son right there. Yet we could also argue from Jesus' words here, 
that is also the Father speaking to Peter as well. He has revealed to him who Jesus is. Now, let's be very careful here about this idea of special revelation. Because God does deal with persons through everyday personal experience. God deals with persons through language, through understanding. God uses historical events to reveal himself to particular people. God uses divine speech particularly. That's what this is, the book of the Bible. All the books of the Bible. He has spoken in his word. That's a special revelation as well. But let's be careful here. Because special revelation, even though it's shown through Scripture to be revealed to certain people at certain times, we got to be careful here not to fall into the error of the Gnostics who said that you must have a special connection to the Lord. He must reveal special knowledge to you or you're not special. Y'all hearing that? That's an error. Don't go there. Okay? That's problematic. That's not what Jesus is saying here in verse 17. He is not telling Peter, you are so special that God the Father has given you a special knowledge that no one else has. That's not what Jesus says. Are we clear there? Because that's error. Jesus affirms Peter's confession as a confession that was caused by, birthed by, blessed by divine revelation. And let's not forget that the prophets themselves mentioned back in verse 14 were also called by special revelation. Matter of fact, Jeremiah, the prophet in Jeremiah chapter one, we read this. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations for to all to whom I send you, you shall go and whatever I command you, you shall speak. That's a direct personal particular revelation to Jeremiah of who God is and what Jeremiah is to say. So the prophets experienced this. John's account of the events following the great feeding of the 5,000 also reveals this idea from Jesus in another way. John chapter 6, verses 43 through 45 says this, Jesus answered them. This is again after feeding the 5,000. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So this is a continual idea in the Gospels. It's a continual idea in the New Testament. It's a continual idea even all through the Old Testament and the prophets that God is the origin, is the origin of all understanding about God. Anybody doubting that this morning? Jesus applauds Peter here in Matthew 16 verses 15 and 16 or 16 and 17. Now, of course, here Peter is named Simon. He's going to get the name Peter Petros in the next verses. We're not going to get that to that today, okay? Um, I saw a t-shirt Friday night of Matthew 16, 18. Who was wearing that? There we go. We'll get to that verse next week, okay, guys? Peter is the rock, okay? We're going to unpack that next week, okay? So in other words, this is a uh, an advertisement that you got to come, come back. You see how we do this? 
It's great. God's word does this to us. It forces us to keep coming back more and more, more and more. Amen. All right. So Jesus here, Jesus grants Peter this new identity as the rock in verse 18. But here in verse 17, he's acknowledging Simon, the father in heaven has revealed this to you. Jesus acknowledges this special revelation in Peter's words. Because he says this, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You'll see that in verse 17. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. The teaching that Peter learned this about Jesus and confesses this about Jesus was not necessarily from human teaching. Flesh and blood. Nor from Peter's own resources. Jesus applauds the fact that Peter does not come to this understanding, this revelation on his own, through his own flesh and blood. This was not Peter's own opinion about Jesus. This was not Peter's free will deciding to think about Jesus and come to Jesus on his own or to even acknowledge Jesus as the Christ. This, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Folks, despite what free will thinkers think, and what free will thinkers argue, it is impossible for us as sinful fallen people to understand who Christ is, period. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. The lesson learned here was taught to Peter by divine origin. It's clear that Jesus is contrasting some sort of direct revelation from the Father with some purely human source, such as the opinion of others, the people, or even Peter's own intellect. And per- now, let's let's also acknowledge that Peter did grow up in Jewish tradition. He would have been a good Jewish boy going to synagogue, and he would have heard and been taught about God through God's word. He would have been taught through the traditions of Jewish culture. And I'm confident God even used that in Peter's development and in his maturity. We can't discredit that. But that's not what Jesus says here, that for flesh and blood has not revealed this. That's not the point here. God uses people. He uses teaching. He uses his word. He uses instruction as part of his revelation. Would you agree? Where do we get the Bible anyway? To study it, it had to come from somewhere, come from someone, God himself. So we can't, that's not what this means either. Jesus' Father, the one in heaven, the great I am, Jesus is saying this pretty directly. He gave Peter faith in Jesus, but particularly gave Peter faith in Jesus as the Christ. Few verses teach this as clearly and directly as this verse, that faith in Christ, knowledge of who Christ is, is a gift of God. God the Father not only sends His Son, God the Father also imparts faith in His Son. I think, would you all agree, that's pretty clear from Jesus here. Galatians chapter 4 helps us see this as well. Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Galatians 4, verses 6 through 7. That's another evidence. Flesh and blood in Matthew 16, 17, in Jesus' acclamation of Peter, he's he's, he's actually applauding Peter here. It declares that what we are in flesh and blood cannot and does not tell us who Jesus is. In other words, Jesus proclaims that Peter's very character, Peter's religious education and sensitivity or anything in Peter did nothing to enable him to believe who Jesus is. That gave him education, gave him background, gave him understanding of who the Messiah would be, but did nothing to enable him to truly believe so that he can confess who Jesus is. In other words, what Jesus says here, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, says that nothing of Peter's nature is used in this revelation. Jesus praises the truth that it was and always is the Father who gives particular saving knowledge, saving understanding of the Christ. Remember that Jesus' prayer following his declaration of woe concerning the unrepentant cities uh, where they, they failed to witness the Lord's miracles. This is back in Matthew chapter 11. The prayer in verses 25 through 30, this is the words of Jesus here. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30. There's a formula for salvation here that too many of us express in the church that really does not follow this declaration of Jesus in Matthew 16, 17. The idea that Christ is God's work, that faith is ours. You ever heard that? Jesus is God's work. Our faith is our work. That doesn't line up here in verse 17. The idea that God did his part in Christ, now it's our part to believe. I don't see that in verse 17. Let's read this again. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Both of these ideas of Jesus, that somehow God has done his work and now he's sitting back waiting for us to do ours, is not found here. Jesus applauds the idea, the truth, that it is the Father in heaven who has given this to Peter. Now the Apostle Paul describes the truth this way in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Faith is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You could also say not a result of flesh and blood. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good words, which which God prepared for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Now, as we begin listening to the text here, 
This is God's will at play, God's role at play concerning one's understanding of who Jesus is. This We're talking about revelation here. God the Father has revealed who Jesus is to Peter. General, let's unpack this, general revelation. Because if general revelation is how we understand who the Christ is, then there's no reason for Christ. Let's understand this, because there's an argument here that you can know salvation because God has revealed Himself in His creation. That's general revelation. It's the idea that we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. If you want to flip over there real quick, because I really want to go through this to show you that general revelation by itself does not lead to salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses eight, uh, 19 and 20. Well, let's look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppresses the truth. It is man's unrighteousness that suppresses the truth of God. Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now let's understand here, here's the problem with general revelation. Clearly the Word of God shows us we can know God through His creation. I'm not debating that. The issue is man's unrighteousness, his sinful nature has blocked any saving knowledge of God the Father, even though God has revealed himself through nature. So it's general revelation does not lead to saving knowledge of God. It's the purpose, see, the purpose of God's will in general revelation is to show the existence of his being in all the works of his creation, of the works of his hands. But humanity, humankind, who comes into contact with all of nature every day, ignores or casts away the truth that is right before them. It's through man's unrighteousness, through our sinful nature, our sinful rejection of God, that leads us to rejecting the truth that speaks clearly before us every single day in all of the created world that's around us. So general revelation, natural revelation, Another idea here is natural theology cannot lead to saving grace. Cannot, because of our sinful nature. It requires then a special revelation. You see, there's a darkness and blindness of the soul that no longer sees the wonders of God's hand at His creation. We can no longer see God or know God through the natural light of reason. That's the idea in Catholicism, the idea that through God's natural revelation, the light of reason can lead you to saving knowledge of Christ. That's false. Because if it was possible, it would happen. Natural revelation of God's created order cannot lead to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Period. That's the problem. 
So a particular revelation, a special revelation of God is required. Now, particular or special revelation is Jesus himself. Jesus is the special revelation of God to all of humanity. This is why we're now at the interaction between Jesus and Peter here in Matthew 16. Peter acknowledges who Jesus is, the Christ, the Messiah who saves, the Son of the living God. So when Peter here says in verse 16, you are the Son of the living God, you are the Christ, that is evidence of a particular revelation to to Peter. He sees the special revelation of who Jesus is. It's impossible for Peter or us to see God through reason alone. It's impossible for us to know God through natural revelation alone. I want, okay. Write this down and we're going to wrap this up here. First Corinthians chapter two, verses 12 through 16. It helps us to see the inability of what we call the natural man, understanding the natural revelation of God who tells us who he is in his creation. In our natural sinful state, it's impossible for us to understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. I want to say that again. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see that? The Spirit who is from God is given that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Verse 14, the natural person, that's our sinful state, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The only way, according to the Scriptures, for us to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is by divine revelation of God the Father Himself through His Spirit to us. Not through God's creation alone. The reason I emphasize this is because in the uh, 19th century there was a rise in theology circles that we can understand God through His natural creation alone. We need nothing else. What does that lead to? That leads to the validity of all religions around the world. Oh, well, everybody around the world, all religions see the natural order, so they must see God. So therefore, what does that lead? Then all religions around the world are just as valid as Christianity. You see the slippery slope there. But Scripture tells us here, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolish to him. They are folly to him. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Only the Spirit of God given to us as a gift reveals to us particularly and specially 
the ability to understand Jesus as the Christ. In order for Peter to be in the mind of Christ, the natural part of Peter must be taught by the Holy Spirit. So we are all natural men by birth, which means that we are born into sin. We cannot know the truths of God in the natural. If the gospel never came by the Holy Spirit, Peter would have never understood it. If the gospel had never come to him through the Father in heaven, Peter would have never understood it. If the gospel had never come to Peter through Jesus Christ himself right there in front of him, he would have never understood it. One must become spiritual before one can believe or know it. Now, before we get too far here, let's make sure that we don't slip into a the wrong idea here. It's not that we should be amazed that Peter is a Christian or acknowledging Christ here. I think what we should be amazed is that anyone believes the gospel. Because anyone means all of us who are in our natural sinful state. It's amazing that we even have any knowledge of salvation. That's the amazing part of the gospel. And that's what Peter is seeing here. When, when we begin to know and desire the truth, it's only when the Father in heaven gives us the truth. Because before the Father in heaven reveals to Peter who Jesus is, I wonder if Peter even had the desire to know who Jesus was. It was the Father in heaven who even gave him the desire. So let's wrap this up. There's a lot I didn't cover here today, guys. I'm sorry. I just over, I overdid it today. Okay. Sorry. If it were up to us, the natural man would see Jesus as foolish. Let's just make that scripturally, biblically clear. Had God not made this calling to us effectual, that's the language here, effectual calling. In other words, if God, the Father who is in heaven, has not effectively changed our will to know who Jesus Christ is, we wouldn't even care who Jesus Christ was. Amen? Had God not made this this calling, this revelation real, we would never desire Christ We would never honestly want salvation, nor would we actually know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the confession of Peter here. Because Jesus tells us in John chapter 6, verse 44 and 45, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. That's what we see in Peter's confession. He was taught by the Father in heaven through a particular special revelation that the Father in heaven gives to Peter. That's what Jesus says. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Doesn't mean that there was this mystical, magical impartation of pixie dust on Peter. Okay? 
It means that God the Father, through His Spirit and through His Son, reveals to Peter, particularly to Peter in this context, this is my Christ, the Messiah that I promised, my Son. That's the only way Peter understood it. And Peter gives praise and credit to that as well. Is that our confession? Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And oh, Lord, there's so much here that we could unpack. And, and I praise you for the, the, the time that we've had this morning to do it. And I pray, God, that you would continue to speak to us in your word as we move through this passage, as we go into verse 18 and following, to understand the foundation of your church. It all began right here in the confession of Peter. It was revealed that it, you, Father, who are in heaven, you reveal to us the truth of your son, Jesus Christ, who he is what he was for, what his mission was, and why we have hope in him as our Savior. And Father, thank you for showing us this truth. Lord, you are God. And we are natural, sinful people. And our sin blinds us to your truth. This is why we need you, Lord, to show us the truth of your Son, of our sin, of our hope in your Son to pay for that sin. We can't do this on our own, Lord. And so, God, I pray for those who are listening to these words. If they are wrestling with their sin, if they are wrestling with this understanding of who Jesus is, I pray, God, that you are using this time of wrestling and fighting in their souls to bring them to the true confession that Jesus Christ is your Christ, your Son, your Messiah, your Savior for us. I pray this, Father, because we trust you. This is the faith that you have given us. Help us, Lord, to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.